Okay. Favorite brand that isn't Seiko? Omega. Favorite complication? Alarm. First watch you bought at Topper? Or a 65 Special Edition. What is your most anticipated video game of 2023? That's a... Difficult question. My head is so far down making my own video game that I am not that worried about 2023. I'm a lot more worried about 24. Um, 20, 2024. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, favorite fast food fries? I guess McDonald's, like a classic. Easy. Name one watch industry personality you admire. I like uh, Joe Kirk for how like, connected to the manufacturer and information and he is, like, and how much. Uh, Visibility he, he shares. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Uh, what was the most influential watch on your collecting journey? Snowflake, which coincidentally I bought from Joe when he was working at Arizona Fine Time <laughs> way back in the day. Uh, that was the first uh, Seiko I bought was the, the SPGA 011, the, the OG Snowflake. What are you binging on Netflix, Apple, Max right now? I mean, watching Hijack, like everybody else, uh, what we do in Shadows, uh, things like that. Classic. What is one watch that Seiko should bring back? Counter chronograph. All right. The million dollar question. Is Seiko still a good value? Saying Seiko is, is so, such a broad statement. There's so many lines. There's so much. And you have to consider both modern, vintage, grand Seiko. So I guess the short answer is yes. The long, longer version, I think I've already said. <laughs> That's perfect. Welcome back to Burlingame and Park. This is, of course, a Topper podcast. We are coming at you live from Burlingame, California. My name is Zachary Pena. I'm joined here by co-host Rob Kaplan. Rob, good to have you. Great to be here, Zach. And in the blue corner. This one. And in the blue corner, brother Russ Kaplan. Russ, great Hello to have there. you. Hello there. Hi. Fellas, this is our 10th episode. Episode number 10. Nice. And we have a... 10th anniversary, 10th episode treat laid out in front of us. I think we're going to get to that in a little bit. We also have a very special guest today, and it is not the treats that are sitting here in front of me. Rob, I feel like you should probably introduce this person. But before you introduce this person, I have to put kind of a blanket caveat on this whole episode. And that is, when you guys are talking about the Seikos that you're going to be talking about, for the sake of Russ and myself... And most of our listeners, maybe not all of our listeners, maybe most of our listeners, describe the Seiko watches that you were talking about. And maybe let's use as few reference numbers as possible. <laughs> because Russ and I know very well that both yes. of you guys know more reference numbers than anybody, probably in California, maybe on the West Coast, maybe in North America, <laughs> maybe in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> I don't know. All, all I know is the last time a bunch of designers were here from Seiko and Rob started rattling off numbers, their eyes crossed because they didn't know what he was talking about for a bit. It was awesome. In the world. Well, <laughs> my vintage Seiko reference number knowledge it is virtually non-existent. You know what was it's interesting though? You made, you made this point early on in the podcast and that was after Omega went to, what was it, six or eight digits? They went from eight codes, to 15. Eight to 15. Yeah. You, you punched so, out. You I were like, I'm yeah, done. I punched out. I'm not interested. But Seiko is still three letters and mm -hmm. three numbers. And it's always been that way. Has it not? Or I feel like there, there might be some seven okay. letters things. But let's, <laughs> we'll get uh, to that. Yeah, we'll get there, to that. There might be some. But. This, is, this is a very special episode. We have a great guest for you today. And uh, for the 10th the tenth episode of Burning Game with Park, Rob, who is in the green corner. Yeah. So when we talked about doing this podcast, we were highlighting that we, you know, we had a goal of maybe five or six guests that we talked about, like, oh, if we did it, we have to have them. This guest was, was on that list. Um, we're talking about Eric Strickland. And Eric Strickland, I have a funny story about, about Eric. When I, <laughs> when I, when I, he, he came to a Grand Seiko event. And this was probably like 2017 as I was just starting to get to know him at Grand Seiko event at Topper. And I remember introducing to someone and I said, this is Eric Strickland. As far as I know, he is the most knowledgeable you know, Seiko enthusiast in the Bay Area. And he looked at me and he went, the Bay Area, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a, a wild, wild understatement. Eric Strickland. So I had, no, I, had, I had no idea when I first met him how, how truly world class his, his knowledge was. Um, Eric Strickland's uh, 
the depth of his collection and knowledge is on display in his in his Instagram, which is I think it's just at Eric Strickland. Yeah, Eric uh, Strickland. Eric Strickland was taken. I'm ah. just the guy. It's a dead account. <laughs> I can't yeah. get it. So it's so it's not. I'm not pretentious yeah. with the S. It's right. just that it was. Uh, we need to get that. We need to get Zuck on the horn. Right. Um, yeah. Eric, it is an absolute treat to have you here. Thank Thanks. you for doing this. And I think I, I think what Rob has underscored here is that uh, Eric is not only truly kind of world-class museum level collector yes he's also an absolute delight to chat with <laughs> i mean the knowledge that you have um the uh the passion enthusiasm enthusiasm that you have not just for not just for the seiko brand but for just interesting old watches and for the watch community writ large is both infectious and inspiring so we're lucky to have you very kind guys thanks awesome well i think you know what we wanted to do today there were a couple things um we could fill volumes on mm-hmm. the collection that you have the first time I met you, I was tasked with photographing, you know, when <laughs> when media outlets need a rare Seiko, they don't go to Seiko for the museum. They go to Eric Strickland. <laughs> they say, Eric probably has this crazy rare diver, this crazy rare whatever. And I, you know, met you in San Francisco, grabbed a couple of your watches, took them to a studio, photographed them. We've done that a couple of times though, for Warner Wound, for Hoodinkee. And I see, actually, I think I see several of those watches on the you table. You did shoot here. that one. That's yeah. right. That's right. So what we want to do, and it looks like we're honing in on the divers, which is great. And this seems to me, so you mentioned earlier, there's kind of a slice where your collection kind of tends to focus. Is is it mostly prospects? Is it, because again, if you look at your Instagram, you love to cover kind of everything, but I selfishly want to see the divers. And I feel like maybe the divers are the most interesting to you. Is that, is that the track? There's, there's definitely the first deep dive I, t- I took before I got that much into Vintage Grand Seiko, um, even though I started Grand Seiko, um, the pun was 100% unintended. I'm sorry about it. I apologize. Wait, no, we, I apologize. You, but, after, as soon as you said it, Russ looked over to me and he was just, well, he just nodded. Yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll try to keep those out. But the but yeah, for, for sure, I'm trying to get uh, really nice reference, nice examples of all the early references um, was one of the first, well, you know, like collecting, you know, it's kind of more than the sum of its parts, it's building uh, something that tells a, a story of innovation, technology, advancement, like progress, all those things, and trying. And that was the first time I really put together like a what I would say is described as a collection was the Seiko divers, and then after that, chronographs and uh, um, vintage uh, um, the Grand Seikos, and then later got really deep into vintage quartz and uh, and and so on. And it's it's been amazing to see that kind of evolution as well because there there's some people that we follow on Instagram that just post cool pictures of cool stuff, but your channel is really like an interesting place to learn. Um, there's stuff that I've never seen before. I was always really surprised at how you tend to go after things that are in much better condition than I mean, we've all seen plenty of old watches, but Eric has the old watches that are like barn finds for the most part. I mean, you have some really Really amazing stuff in that capacity. What was the first, uh, what was kind of patient zero as far as the divers go? Uh, is it on the table here in front of us? No, the first one was the 62 Moss, um, was my first vintage diver. It was, uh, was like, what's the first Seiko diver? You know, what's the lineup? And, um, but I don't have that example anymore. You, you, you kind of live and learn, right? And make mistakes. And there's no way to, to, I guess, collect without, maybe there's enough information in the collector community to, to avoid, avoid warning signs now, but this was about 10 years ago. And uh, the case was not ideal. Oh, <laughs> and uh, and the bezel had some damage and things like that, you know, but I was getting started, I was learning. Um, but yeah, that's that's where it started. Uh, but, you know, these days we've kind of, you know, moved on and get more and more knowledgeable and picky. Right? Yeah. Oh, that's the goal. That's always the goal. Yeah. I've seen some vintage 62 mosses come in and sometimes like, the pip had fallen out and then the um the person put in a replacement pip and then the replacement pip doesn't match the perfect the rest of the bezel the hands don't match the bezel there's it's uh it's finding really period correct and also well-maintained examples in, in vintage is super hard yeah. i mean if you can go to japan and go into probably 10 watch shops and find 62 mosses um I'm looking, no reference number, at um, Eric's, uh, the 62 Moss original that he brought in just across the table and just how, I mean, that looks like that's the original loom, right? Yeah, this is a special one uh, with the loom. The vast majority of the 62 Moss were made in uh, Itsuosa Kosha, um, but as they were transitioning production over to the 6215 in 1967, 
Daini Sekosha made a limited production run of 62 mosses. They have, they have a unique rotor that says Daini Sekosha on it, and the loom ages to a characteristic beige or brown, whereas the cool. Sua ones age to green or pistachio. Cool. Um, so, yeah, it's the original loom, and it's a special loom, which is the, the Daini Sekosha uh, brown, and next to it is a 6105 um, from Daini Sekosha as well. These are you know, kind of a you know the, the on the deeper little tangent down the <laughs> down the 62 moss and diver rabbit hole and i mean the thing when i the first time i photographed i believe it was the one on the end the first time i photographed that 62 that's a 60 moss correct this is a 6215 that's okay. the first professional diver so that's like the only vintage 62 moss here is this is the one you just described right? yeah a little uh, it's unfortunate timing um i have uh, three 62 moss that are away uh, <laughs> at watchmakers including a new old stock small crown which i really wish i could have for you guys okay um, well we'll we'll have to circle back to that one mm-hmm. but i think i think this sentiment extends to everything that's on the table was Given how, you know, if, if, if you've ever handled like a vintage Submariner, like a vintage Rolex sub, they're very kind of stark in their appearance. They're, like the cases are very simple. The dial manufacturer is also really simple. Everything is like painted on essentially. But the dial construction of these original professional Seiko divers is like extremely detailed, very intricate. And like those details hold up and age like really beautifully. I was, I was really taken aback at how beautifully that watch has kind of aged. And I think the same sentiment extends to the original 62 Moss as well. Yeah, the um, raised loom frames. It's like, nuts. Uh, and with the sharp edges. And the loom frames are not even, oh, it was the date, the date aperture is grained. Yeah. So the edges of the date frame, so the, the date aperture has a frame around it essentially, and that is, that is grained. And I, you know, you tend to only see that on pretty like high end Swiss pieces. They're like, you know, brands that are like actually trying to incorporate the date window into the dial in a meaningful way. So again, just really, really beautiful stuff. We keep bringing up the 62 Moss and I, I did say no reference numbers, but I feel like 62 Moss is kind of a known entity sort of within, yeah. you know, it's Seiko's original diver. What is the 62 Moss just in shorthand, I guess? What does that, what does that mean? Let's backtrack just a little bit because we want to get into why that watch is significant and talk about this watch. Itself. Yeah, it's, it basically stands for automatic self-dater. Is, and uh, the self-dater bit is that it has a quick set date. Um, if you looked at the Submariner date at the time, there's no quick set on it. So right. if you miss the day of the month and you're sitting there, <laughs> or you just put it back in the box and wait for four weeks right. uh, for the date to roll back That's around. Right. But, right. uh, but these, so the automatic movement, like the base caliper 62, it turned it was for the 62 GS and also for the world timer, um, 62, 17, 7,000. Sorry, I'm gonna try and avoid references. It's that's okay, it's that's a visual okay. three strikes uh, though. So, that's but, strike but, one. But, but that's what that's, <laughs> that's what it, it stands for, and and the 62 for the base caliber. And there are two model numbers that people describe as the same. There's a lot of little fine variants and case backs and all that. Um, but and maybe we'll talk about that. But the there was the first ref, first version of the 62 Moss, which people call the Small Crown, which is a 6217-8000. was released in uh, 1965, July. It was made for three months. So that was that was Seiko's first dagger? That was Seiko's Full first. Stuff. Okay. I mean, they were working on, there's a whole evolution of, of waterproof, right. uh, water-resistant, and then proof, they called them, uh, dive watches, going back to the, the blue yacht, it's called. Okay. Uh, but then there's the silks, the Seikomatic Silver Waves. There's like a bunch of uh, watches that kind of were kind of wreck or kind of sports, you know, watches that were meant to be able to get wet. And they did a lot of work on screwed on case backs and all this, you know, gasketing and everything to, to get them there. But the first dive watch was the 62 Moss, um, was, was the 62178000. And then uh, after the first several months, they, they halted production of that first version. Retooled the crown and the, the mm-hmm. uh, valve stem uh, and uh, yep. or, or crown stem and yep. uh, re-released it as the sixty two seventeen eight thousand one. Okay, and so visually, this because because Seiko has a lot of kind of reissues and reinterpretations and re this and re that and there's a good number of vintage pieces on the table in front of you. But visually, the sixty two Moss is unique because all of the hour markers are rectangles essentially, right? You have the large twelve six and nine are kind of these fatter rectangles and then. The rest are so that, that's kind of the the key visual identifier, I would say, and also the case shape as well it has these kind of longer rectangular lugs. Yeah, it, I mean uh, the the watch was designed in a hurry, uh, so 
Tara Tanaka, Tanaka-san, famously of the grammar of Seiko design, was a very busy man in 1964. He had 111 stopwatches of various flavors to make for the Olympics to design, uh, but also he was working on the grammar of Seiko design with the first kind of cues came out in the self-dater, right? This, the 43999 or 57GS. Uh, again, uh, reference numbers, I'm sorry, but the self-dater. It's okay. But then for, for Antar- JARE, Japanese Antarctic Research Expedition, the first expedition out of Japan was in 1910. And then there was a long break until the International Geophysical Year, like 1957, 1958, when they re- restarted their engagement with trips to Antarctica as part of that big global science project, the, the, the Geophysical Year. And they wanted... Uh, equipment for the research expedition. This And so there was a time pressure put on Taro Tanaka to deliver a diver that could be part of that, the, part of Jari. I think they really wanted it for Jari 7 in 1965, 66, but I think the small crown was just too hot off the presses maybe, but it didn't make that first expedition, but the crystal chronometer like and, and, and fixed uh, quartz clocks were part of like uh, mission equipment at the base station there in Antarctica. And then uh, for for Jare eight, the sixty two Moss was uh, mission equipment. They had a, a mix of thirty of them, I think it was, that were provided to the to the research team there. They wore them for three years, uh, and then uh, uh, with uh, Jare nine and and beyond, they they went to the sixty two fifteen, and uh, that that ship pressure for the Antarctic research expedition put Tanaka under a lot of pressure, and so instead of going on. If you look at the 6215, it's a lot more like his style, right? With the right. big angled sides and, right. and much higher concept design and the, the kind of rounded loop frames. There's a lot more like Seiko design DNA from Tanaka in the 6215. And I'm glad, you, I'm glad yeah. you pulled that distinction because I feel like the 62 Moss looks like a lot of other kind of skin diver type exactly. watches from the 60s. But the references that follow look like the Seikos now. But it is really funny because... You know, you you talk about how this was kind of designed in a hurry. We we you know some of the most lasting iconic watches of the sixties and seventies were sort of like just designed in a gented at some of his famous designs on like the back of a napkin. You know, yeah, Royal <laughs> Oak was meant exactly. to be what, like like a one night under crunch <laughs> exactly. time before exactly. before Geneva show, right? Uh, yeah, but sometimes you know the first idea is the best one. Yeah. I mean, you're iterating <laughs> on that, Rob. I feel like you've been kind of leaning into your mind for the last moment. What's, what's on your mind? Well, my question is this, is uh, other than the 62 Moss series and, you know, that some of the variants you're describing, are there, as people look back to the catalog, do you think there are any other iconic 60 Seikos that do have the crown at three? Are there any others that sort of exist? Not automatics so much, because like a lot of the automatics like made a real point of putting the crown at four and recessing it uh, to, so that you, it's not even visible, like including the Grand Seiko, right? Like... Uh, but um, there's plenty of hand winders, like uh, including King Seiko's and others um, that, uh, and the, of course the Grand Seiko, early Grand Seiko lines, um, the self-dater that are highly collectible and have three o'clock crowns, but most of those are hand winders. Yeah, I should have specified dive watches. <laughs> oh, dive watches. <laughs> dive watches. Uh, yeah. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah, I think most of them are four o'clock crown and recessed, yeah. That's super cool. When I look at this new tribute to the 62 Moss reference number, we're going to say it now, but it is the SGE 093. This is a significant launch. Rob, you're quite excited about this. Russ, yeah. maybe not. Are you excited about it too? No. Oh, okay. Perfect. I like this watch a lot. <laughs> this watch guys, is awesome. You guys have every, I, every right to be excited about this. Yeah. I feel like there have been several, and Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, probably in the last in 10 or 15 years, there have been a number of tributes to this watch already. And, and you know, one of these watches on the tray, like this one here, Okay. Is one of the tributes. Oh, it is one of the tributes. Okay. So that watch that Eric's holding now, it's after the second watch he ever bought from us in 2017. <laughs> and the watch on my wrist. We still have to do our wrist. Oh my gosh. It's, uh, it's the SLA 017, which is the 39 and a half millimeter reissue from 2017. That's, that's really funny because, so that watch, so listener, Eric has arranged four, I think four vintage watches in front right. of him, but one of them was actually modern. It was three vintage watches and a reissue, right. but it, Correct. the reissue was quite... <laughs> quite right. faithful so I thought yeah. that was actually a vintage watch yeah okay so that that was the tribute from 2017 sorry 2017 so I don't know that you've ever seen that watch on the bracelet before because you I haven't I've I've only never, ever seen I only wear this watch on the strap that's exactly but Eric right. has it on the bracelet 
Okay. So this is maybe a good time to do a risk check because we're talking <laughs> vintage and modern. But uh, listener, just put a pin in it. The '62 Moss. So this is the 2017. And then we'll get back to why I'm excited. And then we'll get back to why Rob is excited. Rob, lead us off. What are you wearing today? The SLA 17 on a rubber strap. So the rubber waffle strap. Eric, was this was this waffle style strap OE? You have some of these vintage straps, do you not? I mean, there's one of them right in front of us here. This is on the original waffle okay. strap, the ZLM01. This strap design um, debuted with this watch, with the 6215. Okay. Okay. Um, the 6215 said before that, uh, Seiko, just as part of their, their kind of rush, right? Like, uh, used Swiss Tropic straps, right? Like, with the Seiko buckle okay. and everything like okay. that. Okay. But a special, like, design of it, like, that's unusual that we call, like, a 131 Tropic because of the, the layout of the, the internals of the strap. If you go to Anthony Cable, like... Uh, from plus nine time is, you know, luminary yep. has a whole page on Seiko dive watch straps, uh, including a, a detailed breakdown on the one, three, one Tropic. I so I would check that out if you want to see it in more detail, but I love uh, yeah, it. so this is a one original Seiko one, three, one Tropic. And then this is the, the original to the watch. So I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that about the Tropic. And that actually makes sense. And that further camouflages this watch within sort of the canon of other skin divers from the sixties and seventies to come out of Switzerland all of which basically use Tropic straps as their kind of original equipment manufacturer, which is really interesting. So the waffle pattern on the strap, is that simply just kind of designed to evoke the kind of Tropic style, but in like three-dimensional relief? Or was it, they just they just made it pokey because it wanted, they wanted to be, was, <laughs> was there any specific design intent behind this kind of raised There is pattern? a little bit of functionality to it, okay. which is sometimes you see people fumble to put their watches like, when they put oh, the yeah. watch on, like it kind of, it's a little oh, bit yeah. awkward. And with the with the raised teeth, it kind of catches the buckle, so okay. it's less likely to like slip off. Has anyone right? in this room dropped a watch on a tile floor in the bathroom? I never have. I've thought about it a number of times, and I've <laughs> made a few spectacular time. catches. <laughs> I've seen photos on the forums of ceramic watches that have uh, yes. taken spills on kitchen and bathroom floors. Okay, so that's that's actually that's actually I love that, and that's like real world utility. And then it's almost it's almost exaggerated to a certain degree on the on the modern version. I'm handling Rob's strap here. <laughs> Very cool. So 62 Moss Tribute from 2017. We're gonna get into how that is different from the 62 Moss Tribute from 2023 in a few moments, Rob. Thank you. Russ, what is on your wrist? And you picked this. <laughs> There's maybe a story behind this, but uh, Russ, what are you wearing? Well, and this is a great answer. Eric, what am I wearing? <laughs> the gold the gold Seiko Pogue, right? That's Correct. 6139, 6002. Uh, why is it called Pogue? Uh, from Colonel William Pogue, who was uh, war had as personal as a personal watch. He had a, he had his you know mission provided speedmaster, but for all of his training for the Seiko, he was just comfortable with it. And when you're up in space and the in the seventies, your life is or in sixties, your life is on the line, right? Like so, he he, he wore that watch, um, and his his specific watch came up from a while back. Oh, and I wish I knew huh. uh, who has right. the, the Pogue Pogue. Like wait, the, the space is space worn Pogue. Yeah, his oh, wow. space worn Pogue. Uh, and it was on Skylab Four, which was the at the time set the record for consecutive days in space. Um, but uh, yeah, 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 but that's why it's called the Pogue after him, just like the Paul Newman okay. or. Okay. Like that. Just, yeah, That's awesome. Russell, that's great. So, and the answer to why I like the watch is because I actually remember when this watch was out. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, listener, a few moments ago, Rob opened up, you know, his box and said, Russ, you have to be wearing a Seiko for this episode. And Russ immediately went to the yeah. gold dialed poke. I can absolutely see why. And that, you know, for a watch from the 70s, what era is this? 70s. 70s. Very early 70s. That, that color has aged spectacularly. It's beautiful. It's this kind of honey gold. Yeah. Gold. Yeah, I don't know how else to describe it. It's you know, and it contrasts the the blue and the uh, and the red. Even the anodized bits in the bezel haven't aged. Yeah, no, this watch is in, That's in great shape. in very good shape. Rob, this is yours. It's part of the. I think it's the topper internal. The family. <laughs> we squabble about whose is his. <laughs> Fair enough. I am wearing, and I actually, you know, I. I um, Eric, what reference number is this? Oh, that's modern. I don't know. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Rob, you know the reference. The, GE285. <laughs> this I'm wearing the uh, the Grand Seiko Mist Flake. I don't actually know the reference. I think it's this, but uh, I really love this watch. And actually, at about this time last year, uh, so early yeah. August, FBG285. Thank you. <laughs> it what, is a, what, a, what a shock you got that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. 
one of one. <laughs> you can kind of just look over and point at Rob, and then there's the reference number. This time last year, I was uh, traipsing around Miwok Coastal Land, Marin County, photographing this watch for Grand Seiko. Taking pictures of Club. fog for the GS9 Club. It was the mist flake. I was like, August is foggest here in the Bay Area, <laughs> so we'll go and take some pictures of fog. And I have a lot of photos of just clouds moving and like treetops. And... So I'm I'm uh, very emotionally connected to this watch at this point because Marin County is kind of home. You know, that me, shoot so. was featured in the latest GS9 newsletter. I just saw it. just that. came back. Nice. I don't know. It was a nice little reminder. Eric, you're also wearing something modern and extremely cool. Uh, also from the Evolution 9 collection. What are you wearing? I'm wearing the Tenograph. Yeah, my, probably my most recent pickup. I love it. I am very happy that this watch has a name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to say, uh, speaking on behalf of Russ and myself yes. and other collectors who are also allergic to reference numbers, mm -hmm. the Tentograph, uh, which is, of course, Grand Seiko's first... Uh, mechanic, purely mechanical chronograph. It's I, like that, I like that you said purely well, mechanical chronograph. Spring because... drive is a mechanical movement right. with an <laughs> electromechanical regulator. But like, so when they said mechanical chronograph, you know, all the spring drive heads, if, if that's a thing, like kind of bristle a little bit, <laughs> saying it's the first mechanical chronograph is the first purely mechanical chronograph. I love this. Yeah. I love this. Eric, that's Eric. That's why we love you. Mm. Very cool. Okay. So what we want to do today, uh, Rob, let's uh, hand Eric this box. So. These just came in, correct me? So it's going to be a long journey to getting all of our <laughs> our pre-orders filled. But right. what, what is in your hand is one of the first few to come in. And I think they will be coming for, for a bit. Yeah, for the, for the course of the next few months. So this yeah. is the 2023 62 Moss reissue. Reference number, Rob? SJE093. <laughs> Thank you. I'll allow it. I'll allow that one. And Rob, while Eric is kind of pulling this open, open it up. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. go make 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 some noise. There. Rob, right. tell us what is different about this watch. And we talked a little bit about this in episode nine briefly, mm -hmm. but just kind of give the the layperson the shorthand as to what makes this new reference different from the one on your wrist. I or mean, the top three. I mean, the base the basic most important difference is just, is the proportions. Yep. Is the proportions are, um, yep. and I think. Eric will have a lot more to say when, when he holds it up next to his 60s authentic piece. I'm imagining uh, him as, you know, in like the stadium, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. Just roaring yeah. around him. He extends um, his fist and the thumb. Right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the, it's, um, it has um, a special new caliber of, of this, of the six cell movement that is more compact. Mm -hmm. So they can have a modern movement in a case uh, mm -hmm. that works. Yep. Um, and I believe you, we, we talked about this off air recently. You spoke with Joe Kirk right, about what makes this 6L different from right. the 8 and also, series. And, all, and also we were talking about the difference between 8L eight, eight and 9 series. And and what Joe basically said was that 8 and 9 do spring from, from common architecture. There are some subtle differences. And do you remember when I said, I, I wasn't, I couldn't remember what the biggest one. He said the biggest one was probably just the the wind the winding systems are a little bit different mm -hmm. and there's some, there are some component differences but this is definitely both at their price point are built in their best architecture he said that to do a 38 millimeter watch like this an eight series movement would be both too wide and mm -hmm. it would be too too thin so there was no way for them to hit the period correct the shot for shot Right, case with, with, an eight, with, an 8L. with an 8L. Right, so just like there's no way to do it with a King Seiko, Fair. which is why they've been using this. So listener Eric is scrutinizing, he's holding... Here, can I get a loop? <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna loop it. Yeah. Um, Hold on. Yeah, no, that's a, a loop is coming. Okay. So before, before yeah. we get to that, what do you think of the packaging? And uh -huh. what does the packaging of, of this watch remind you of or tell you? Yeah, it reminded me immediately. Uh, so it's a white box with a gold Seiko in the lower right-hand corner. And you open it up and it's got a blue um, felt field and then Seiko Divers Watch on the lid, uh, which is really close to one-on-one -on -one with the uh, original packaging from the first professional diver, the 6215 7, and, and literally no one in this room, maybe no one in California is... <laughs> is better suited to speak on the original <laughs> packaging for Seiko professional watches than somebody who has a museum of professional Seiko watches from the 60s. Uh, all right, the loop is out. But it's the first time I've seen this, uh, you know, on homage to the packaging materials. That's extremely that's, that's cool. That's a sleeper, so whoever had that idea, good job. <laughs> that's extremely cool. 
And the loop is going up. Sorry. <laughs> You're like, hey, look at this. I'm very, like, very like, cool. Okay, so Rob, Rob, we talked about. So this is a this is a six L series movement. So the proportions of this watch are are, are more closely aligned with the original. Uh, are there any other similarities, differences that set it apart from the watch on your well, wrist? Well, I feel like this. I feel like the strap is really different. Okay. So. Um, and that looks more like a like a tropic. Yeah, right. So the, also the the last one came on both bracelet and strap. This one just comes on strap. Um, here's here it is, Eric on strap. Yeah. Eric's now comparing the two. How do you see the straps as different? Well, I mean the SL the the eight Elmas, the yeah. the SLA one seven, the previous reissue is like like you said, like a more like modern, muscular, flexible mm-hmm. version of the waffle strap. Everybody knows these old like plastic waffle straps, like. Once you like heat or use heat or the hot water in a mug I trick or whatever, trick. the mug trick, mug trick, right? Like you can get them shaped to your <laughs> wrist and they, they're super comfortable. But when they're rigid and straight initially without the trick, like they're uncomfortable. And, and so this is like the, the, this waffle is a, it's a nice modern execution of that. This new reissue is a modern version of the Tropic, right? So kind of like the analog between the, the original waffle yep, and the original yep, Tropic. Exactly. They, but they went back to the reimagination of the original no, of, the, of the original tropic strap, and it looks like cool. it's about the same thickness as the original. Is it not? I mean, the thickness was we've got to be getting pretty yeah, close. It's yeah. very, very close. close. The, so the original and the original probably would have had uh, an acrylic or mineral crystal. If acrylic not. crystal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The the first mineral crystal was on the sixty two fifteen. There it is. Okay. Yeah. Are we, have we switched to uh, sapphire? So this is probably a sapphire crystal then on the new SGP. For sure. Okay, yeah. fair enough. And fair it's play. slightly as, more as it was on the As it was on the 2017 yeah. iteration. And virtually all luxury, <laughs> yeah. you know, Seiko. And what about the dial color? This is another detail that really struck me about photographing your vintage versions is that the dial color, the dials of these original 62 mosses weren't gray or black. They were this really, really subtle sunburst that took on a lot of really interesting color and texture and kind of life when you hit it with a direct flash mm-hmm. uh, or an indirect flash, excuse me. And it appears as though that sunburst has been recreated in the new version, has it not? Maybe yeah. To some degree? We're gonna have to- These two to, dials uh, are these with very flashes. close. Okay, uh, okay. Um, the new watch is really fate more, even more faithful to the original case, but the, the, the dial of the of the of these is, is is remarkably close, and I would say that maybe the the loom frames are even a little bit more square, right? I think there was, I think there was some. They were a little round. Some 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 uh, <laughs> some folks complaining about the slightly rounded loom frames when this came out when the SLA 017 came out. But the original kind of also has those slightly rounded. So we're talking to, we're talking about the hour applied markers. Yeah. yeah. They do have kind of a rounded edge to the corners, do they not? They're they're pretty square. They're just, square. Just okay. Sl- like Maybe very too round slight. Uh, but but yeah, these 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 two dials are, are extremely close between them. The big takeaways is really the back, right? One of the um, you know kind of I still love the watch, bought it, like it, the one okay, seven, yeah. but but the the case back homages the the small crown that had right. just just where the the back was just etched, right? Like and so if you look at Try to find a small crown that you can still see the the case back dolphin on. Right. Really hard because they all just got worn off just through regular wear. And so so this is still the the, the SLA 017 is just attached, whereas this new one is actually like has depth to oh, it. Oh, it's an engraving. Like it's an actual like engraving. the great wave uh, dial. Yeah. Okay. And the dolphin. And like the later executions of the sixty, like the the, the later sixty two uh, Moss. Did what were engraved like this? Um, so one of the upgrades from from the small crown was the was the engraved back, and so it's, it's really cool that they upgraded the back to be engraved. I love that. I love that. So and this very and this is the last question I have about this reference specifically. So this is a tribute to the big crown or to the small crown version because that crown looks rather large. Yeah, this is very close to a one to one with the big crown the reference. Big crown. Yeah. Okay, but the, which which is ninety percent of the right. sixty two mosses are the big crown, right? right. Like it's, yeah. So when you when you talk about what it is. This is what they mean. Yeah, typically. I love that. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's kind of take a step back. We're gonna kind of hover above the desk here a little bit and and put this watch and Russ. I want to hear your thoughts on this sure. watch in a moment. So we'll get to that. Rob, why is this watch significant in a sense that Seiko has done a lot of reinterpretations? They've done a lot of tributes. But to Eric's kind of comments about the packaging earlier about how faithful Seiko's really gone kind of all in on this in terms of like getting as close to the original as possible. Like that's pretty significant for Seiko. This is not something that the brand 
does. Correct? I don't remember in modern Seiko an attempt to do something so close to a, almost a carbon yeah. copy reissue. Yeah. Whereas like most of like the really special limiteds of the of the Marine Master models, they, they're sort of modern. It's always like modern tribute to, mm-hmm. but yeah. the the cases always seem very different. And you have a lot of those watches, like the tributes to the 68, 69 models. Yeah. And I don't ever remember a case being this close. Do you? No, never. All of them, including the Grand Seiko line mm-hmm. for like the 44 GS reissue. If you, if you step back from it, right, mm-hmm. they look like really faithful, right? Mm-hmm. But when you actually get close, get it on your wrist, the, the height, how high it wears, That's the biggest thing right? Like, uh, like it's, it's always kind of, and it's more muscular, I guess, but uh, if you if you really are after that, like as close to a one to one, this is the the most faithful. I've but it's seen so far. it's impressive to see that it the the movement at the center of it all is really what enabled them to do it on this level of faithfulness and detail. Because without without that movement in there, it would be it would be like the twenty seventeen version where they use an existing movement. They kind of built the case around it, try to get it as close as possible. I think also it's important to think about like. A faithful reissue is really only as good as its source material. And to me, yes. I do like a lot of um, the Mini Marine Masters. I mean, the, technically, the, the topper edition we did, the, the Ninja, the SPB 107 is a, you know, I, today Mini Marine Masters are like 40 and 42 millimeters. But at the time, it was slightly smaller than you know, your typical monocoque case Marine Master, um, that sort of the, the that's their flagship diver and i like all of that but there's something about the sunburst gray that has always spoke to me and i think that at this size it's it's wearable to everyone and it's a unique period in their history where by 68 you know like the as eric was saying the grammar of design takes it into a completely different direction with different angles crown it for and and pretty much that that's where the design stays, uh, mm-hmm. it, with, with mild with mild changes in the late sixties and early seventies. But so to me, it's just this you know unique watch. Actually, there's a there's a Blancpain bathyscaphe. I was just that, gonna say that, that I should have worn that that, that, today. that rem, <laughs> re, reminds me a little bit of this. Yes. And it, and again, it, it it fits into the skin diver genre. Mm-hmm. And anytime a company tries something daring and new. And in this in this case, it's trying to do that that dive reissue. I just feel like it just has a little bit more life force. So Russ and I saw this in Napa, I think right after Watches and Wonders, maybe a couple of weeks after Watches mm-hmm. and Wonders, uh, at an event with 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 Seiko USA. And to me, as Eric was saying, like you see a lot of Seiko references, and I was just so taken aback by this. You were. Buzzing. Yeah, I was you like buzzing. And I was sending you pictures of it next to the SLA 017, <laughs> and they had an original there. And that's another thing. Like from a dealer presentation, I'd never really seen Seiko USA when they're presenting a piece to dealers bring a historical piece. Like, mm-hmm. look at this next so. to this piece. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I just think it's daring, and it's clear talking to them. They brought several designers from Japan on that trip. They really are interested in what the U.S. consumer and collector mm-hmm. market has to say. And they have been hearing the feedback that they want to see things that are, you know, experimental it, and close to it original. Does. It feels like a direct response to feedback when people say, oh, this is too big. Oh, this is too this. This is too that. It's And, and they're like, no, we can do it. We, we can. We have the movements. We can make that case. We can make it done. So I think that one of the things about this, you asked, why am I excited about it? It's because of the fact that modern reinterpretations are great of things, are great and changing things to make them, I don't know, put into certain kinds of modern technology and some things, maybe they get it a little bit better. But the reality is, is that oftentimes that first design in the original designers really did get it right. And it's interesting, somebody once, at Omega, some, I can't remember who, I, I almost want to say it was Gregory Kissling, but I don't remember who it was, said to me something in an offhanded way about new design of, in so many ways, all we really got to do is just look at the past because there's just so many great designs out there. 
why are we doing so many new designs was sort of an offhanded comment. And I do think in this, they really got it right by acknowledging, I guess, that they originally really got it right. And I love, I love that. that. I love that. And you know, let's let's not forget where this came from, sort of in the pantheon of other watches. And I mean, this this watch and you, the the Blanc Pond Bathyscaphe came up because that was another kind of skin diver that was part of that same arms race within the then burgeoning scuba diving industry that was that was completely nascent at the time. But with the invention of the open circuit um, scuba diving apparatus, essentially enabling people to enabling scientists and researchers and explorers and people like you and I, you know, recreationalists, um, weekend warriors to be able to spend time underwater. And uh, I mean, it was a completely literally and figuratively new world for people to be able to explore. Who would have thought in the, in the 60s that <laughs> scuba diving was kind of like pickleball? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the pickleball of the 60s. Exactly. You know, and then all of these companies racing to innovate gear that could keep people safer and be able to do, to participate in this activity and, and stay safe. And, you know, it's so funny, again, with this watch, I, I just, I'm so struck by how, Eric, you're saying this watch was rushed. But in a sense, it was rushed, but it was also it was also perfect. And it's kind of funny, you know, if you're trying to if you're writing something, you're trying to take a photograph like usually the first your first shot is usually pretty close to the shot that, you know, it was the thing that you imagined in the back of your mind. It was a thing that should have been, um, you know, and oftentimes like we, you know, Rob, we we try to iterate on something too much and we end up just circling back to the thing that we started off with at the beginning. And, you know, oftentimes it's the best idea. And I really love that. Russ, in your mind, who is this watch for? I feel like Rob and Eric, this watch is for you guys, for sure. Like you guys know that you, I mean, I, th I think Eric, I think this watch is for you. I yeah. mean, you're yeah. on the original, but you could probably yeah. wear and enjoy this in kind of a modern capacity. Yeah, it rains and I get protective <laughs> of like, you know, maybe I shouldn't, but you know, it's uh, nice to have both the, an original and a modern. And then you, you can, you, you always have the right watch for the day. I love that. Okay, so for guys like Eric, this watch, this watch is as good as gold. Rob, I already know your answer. <laughs> but there's, well, you know my answer. But you know who really liked this watch is uh, Jay. Uh, she speaks watch. She did. Um, and I've, she I've never seen, not a I've never seen Jay as excited about a Seiko in my life. She asked me not a half an hour ago. I was like, oh, we got Eric Strickland here. We're going to talk about Seiko stuff. And she was like, have you seen the new one yet? <laughs> She's fired up about this watch. That's amazing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm completely with you. Russ, uh, and, what about you? And honestly, it, it really is for the same reason that what Rob said earlier is it is a watch that lots of people can enjoy. I don't think it necessarily matters if it's a big wrist or a small wrist. It's just, I think I really love it just because I think it's, I do really think it's a great design. Genuinely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So Eric and I were talking about how important caliber is to him earlier. And at the risk of paraphrasing you, he said something really interesting that when he, some of the watches he collect, what you were talking about a citizen that's accurate to then a, sec, a second a yeah, day. Yeah, the zero one zero zero. Oh, right. a second a year. A second a year, I'm sorry. A second <laughs> a year. And so, but we were talking about how, like, what makes that interesting to you is accuracy as utility, not so much for utility. Like you said, you change watches every day, but just like it, it's an, it gives it, it's just a theme, accuracy as a theme. And so here, the, the most important part of the theme is just um, the reissue. Oh, by the way, one thing I think that isn't spot on that we should probably point out is, is that the text. Uh, is the text, like if you compare your watch to the text of, of this reissue, how is it different? You want me to do it in real time? Sure. <laughs> All right. Here All right. I'm, I'm, in real time. I'm looping. The loop is back up. I'm looping in front of a mic right now. I doubt that there's waterproof on the dial. Right. Uh, is the first thing. I don't think we can and say waterproof anymore. No, we're not allowed to say waterproof. <laughs> well, I think. But and I think there's, there's, a there's, an implied, there's an implied yeah. guarantee. So, anyway, let's. Go ahead. Oh, there's also a 26 joule movement instead of a 17 joule movement. Uh, right. But also it says divers, right? Um, which mm -hmm. was uh, more modern Seiko language for right. watches that are and that means ISO certified. ISO 6425 yeah. certified, which which is water resistance, legibility, durability, chronometry. There's a, there's a, there's a number of characteristics that uh, have to be able to pass that test yeah. in order to say divers. So all pretty much all Seiko Prospects dive watches, I think, say that. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So it isn't. 
Note for note for note for note. The same. I mean, you can't tell that this watch was made this year. But it's more of a hat tip. I feel like a lot of Seiko's tributes and reinterpretations are kind of, they're a hat tip. They're an an acknowledgement of the past. But, you know, as we kind of spoke of in episode nine, this is... This is Seiko's equivalent, you know, Omega did the, the Seamaster Trilogy collection where they literally like photographed and laser scanned vintage, three vintage watches from their collection and then remade them essentially to spec. So and most, this is Seiko's more almost doing that. Most modern Seikos also have the Prospect X. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and the Prospect X is uh, something... And people love the Prospects X, right? We love the X. Everyone. Um, <laughs> no, the, the, it's mixed. There's a mixed response. There's a mixed it's response. It's just very modern. That's true. It's, it's, modern. it's just it's just very modern. So so all of the like the twelve hundred dollar tier Seikos um, that are sixty two Moss reissues, like like the gray version that is the you know the six R caliber of that does have the Prospect X, the one James Stacy likes. That's yep, yeah, three. That's, that's my BB. only reference. <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> Strike one for Rob. Yeah, Strike that's my only. It's my only one. I say, but um, but they're trying to keep a, a modern, legally safe version of that original text. And um, back to the first watch that you purchased from us. Um, that's something that we and did on the Oris that you bought from us yeah. was. Um, was was knowing we couldn't say waterproof, um, but trying to put the jewel count with the modern jewel count in the thing that inspired that watch in 2016 of putting the jewel count was uh, some was Seiko's that had done that. And a lot of them at the time were, were JDN, some of the Sarks models that all had the jewel count in, in cursive, I remember. Uh, that's what inspired us to go, why can't we do this on, on an Oris? Look, the modern, modern Seiko does it in the last second. I think you make a really good point, Rob, and Russ, this kind, of, this kind of bookmarks what you were saying as well, in that what makes this watch unique is that we can spend literally an hour talking about the nuances of this and what makes this special from a historical standpoint, from who is arguably the foremost collector of kind of vintage Seiko dive watches. In the Bay Area, right? In, in the, the Bay Area, area. for sure. <laughs> in the greater Burlingame area. Burlingame area. That's right. In Rob's <laughs> office. Yeah. Um, but uh, but then for 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 Russ and myself and for Jay, um, you know, and, and other folks who love cool looking watches, wearable sizes, really interesting history, but maybe don't buy into all of the stuff in the text. Maybe we don't know the history quite so well. Like. This is a killer piece. I mean, there's there's a lot to really, really love here. And I've I've always felt with a lot of Seiko's, again, the tributes and the, the reinterpretations is that like they're very cool, but they maybe either don't get the size. There's always something they don't get like quite right. And it's not right or it's not it's not to say right or wrong. They just it depends on how I guess how much of a purist you are, or what details you're looking for. But there's always there's always something that's maybe like just slightly askew. This this nails it. I mean, it really nails it. But it is also a limited watch. Right. And for a brand like Seiko, who makes as many watches as Seiko does, this is extremely limited, is it not? Right. So um, there are under 2,000 pieces of the watch. In terms of reserving the watch, it's no secret that we have been, Russ and I have been trying to get some version of a 62 Moss, you know, made for Topper. And when we saw this watch, we're like, wow, they did this. And Russ just left the hotel, they, got yeah, in his car, yeah, and drove yeah, home. Yeah, no, they did this so incredibly well. When um, we were talking about how we thought this was a, a direct hit f- for our audience, as the SLAO 17 was the first great modern diver that was ever hit a topper. Because you remember what, when I talked about in episode in episode uh, one or two was we we didn't become a Seiko dealer following the path of most. Uh, we came into it off of the enthusiasm of Grand Seiko. So the SLA 017 also has a lot of meaning for me because this was the first mega hit Seiko that we ever sold, where you know we were you know, turning people away for it. So anyway, Seiko USA was incredible and Seiko Japan was incredible about getting us allocation uh, for the piece. Um, we're delivering a number of them now, we'll be delivering um, more of them later. But for people that are still interested in the piece, Getting those 2,000 pieces made is going, is going to be a process over the next six months. People, as of this recording, can still uh, reserve them to be delivered off of the end of the run, which is late January, February. So this is still an order of a watch. 
Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, I I think this. Yeah, they were they were very good. At this one is going to sure our guests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one's going to go down in history. I think, just in terms of, and again, Rob, to your point about the SLA, I'm breaking my own rule here, but the gray dialed um, reference that you spoke of when when Topper kind of became a dealer early on, then the 2017 version kind of iterated on that. And then this gets it even closer. So I think if, as we kind of continue the lineage of these interesting tributes and um, kind of reinterpretations, essentially, I mean, this is a reissue, I would say. This this new version is a, a reissue in terms of, to borrow the parlance kind of used by the rest of the watch industry. Like when they get it this close, it's, the, it's that watch again. That's very exciting. Eric, this has been an absolute delight to have you here i i feel like you probably could have brought twice as many watches and we could still be talking three hours from now okay. kind of keeping this focus on divers maybe helps everybody uh stay a little more focused but just kind of in short though you're down with this watch oh yeah i mean some some things that, that you don't see on it one is they did make the like 120 click bezel like uh that is unidirectional which they need for the diver's cert uh screw down crown and being able to do that with the narrow case side, right, like is a big improvement on the original. Um, so, like it's it's got everything there from the the eight Elmas, but in like the exact original package. Really cool. I love that. Does this watch go in your museum? Uh, this goes in the the modern uh, <laughs> uh, section. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the modern wing. It's the modern wing. Exactly. <laughs> Very cool. Well, fellas, gosh, I okay. We're kind of burying the lead here. This has been a cake sitting on the table here in front of us for this whole recording. Rob, what is this cake doing here? Well, this is a Swedish princess cake, and this is uh, for us to all enjoy a nice uh, little bit of a fika break. And it turns out, you had asked in the last podcast, is fika a noun or a verb? And (laughs) our good friend uh, Tobias uh, gave us some clarification on this issue. So while... uh, you know, in, in support of our Swedish uh, listeners that have glory, you know, wonderfully ranked our podcast. Russ, could you cut the cake while Zach explains <laughs> a little bit more about Fika? How did, how did that start? Well, in the last episode, we joked about, uh, well, Rob, you had mentioned that the podcast had suddenly become ranked quite highly in Sweden, and then Fika jokes were made, and then we all got hungry, and uh, so we decided we would have a little Fika here is it hat? Am I using this correct? We would well, have a fika. I sent you what Tobias said. So we are we are about to do a fika or have a fika. Fika is about to be had, Kirk. <laughs> so listener, as uh, Burlingame and Park takes its first official fika, episode ten is in the can. Eric Strickland, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Loving all these watches here. I'm going to grab some photos of these before you bail. Uh, Robin Russ, thank you as always, and we will catch you in the next one. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>